Hello and welcome to the Wizards of Drivel podcast. My name is David Cowlishaw and I'm joined by Tom Thrower. Evening or whenever is the appropriate greeting for your time of day of listening. Evening, Tom. And it's a welcome back to the podcast for Tony Lloyd. Morning. <laughs> Good. Oh, probably. Good. <laughs> <laughs> That's all bases covered then in terms of when you're listening to this. Ooh, lads, uh, Stoke City won a game this weekend. Come on, we've got to be happy with that. Uh, Stoke City 2, Ipswich Town, Paul Lambert's Ipswich Town, nil. Who saw them scoring nil? Blimey. Uh, <laughs> goals from Tom Ince and Joe Allen. Either side of half-time, really. A comfortable win for Stoke, but it's it's a win that's not really got many people too buzzing about the... The progress Stoke are making. So, Tom, are we perhaps too entitled or are the complaints about Gary Rowett at the moment justified? I am, um, to to steal a phrase from a certain person involved with the football club, I don't really see what all the fuss is about. I think we're pretty good. We're pretty stable. Since Woods has came in and... I keep tweeting that table after every game pretty much. We've only lost twice. Yeah, okay, we haven't won loads of games. And I suppose I get it. It, it wasn't a good game of football. We didn't we didn't really get out of first gear, but we still won 2-0. And I'd be a lot more concerned if we hadn't have had games like the QPR game or the Reading game where we totally deserved to batter them but missed a few chances and they scored some lucky goals. So I I just think I don't get it. I, I, it's things like it's it's the build up of everything. It's like booing when someone passes it backwards when you're one nil up at home. Yeah, okay, I understand it might be frustrating to see someone not take on the riskier option, but Christ, like football is context. Like you can't decontextualize a pass. People make those decisions based on the match situation and stuff. So, booing when we're leading, I just it, it kind of wobbled my head a little bit at times yesterday. It was strange. It was a strange day. It, it certainly was a strange day. Tony, I've read comments to the effect of, I, I've never felt this kind of deflated after a Stoke win, and despite the win, people aren't really feeling all that good. We didn't batter Ipswich by any stretch of the imagination. Uh the people thought Rowett's subs and selection were were negative. It's it's a weird one. It, it seems to be to me that Rowett's had more criticism, kind of in correlation with this eight match unbeaten run. It it, it it's not really done much for his reputation. That this kind of steady progress in the table. So, are we perhaps expecting too much or? Have we kind? Or are these victories kind of papering over the cracks of a, a very negative, very limited manager? I don't know. I mean, I think we are probably expecting a bit too much. Just, on, I, I don't know. I, don't, I think we all, when we got Rowett, we were expecting some kind of big step up, step up from Paul Lambert. Um, and it's arguable whether we've seen that. It's, I mean, I don't have a suitable footballing analogy I can think of but it's like if you the other week I went to Morrison's because I was hungry and I bought some four cheese tortelloni I know what I'm getting 
it's going to fill me up. It's a meal for at least two, and I'm going to eat it myself, so I'll be fine, and that's all good. And then when I got it home, it turned out it was spinach, <laughs> but it was all I had, so I ate it anyway. And it's like, some as I was eating it, I was like, this isn't that bad, but it wasn't what I wanted. I, d- I, don't, I don't know what we want from him. Do we? I mean, I think half the crowd want Stoke Alona and half the crowd probably want Tony Pulis back and we're both asking for that from Gary Rowett and I don't think that's ever going to square I think that hits on a point as well I think because of the, the bad start that we've had and that wobble that sort of threw a lot of people off Rowett because as much as we sit here and we've we said on here before that it was all a bit of a joke we're going to win the league without losing a game we're going to win every match I think there was in general a sort of buying into this idea that, all right, this championship malarkey is going to be a piece of piss, so we're all going to go at it. Throw into that, well, that not happening, and ju- not just that not happening, we were actually pretty terrible at the start of the season. And I think it sort of turned a lot of people off route. So now the things that they want, whether you want two strikers or you want exciting football or you want Bojan on the pitch, all of those little things are on top of a bad start so people are now just getting angry at Rowett for not doing exactly what they want them to do they've sort of been knocked to a place where Rowett fixing a terrible defence that was just abysmal and is now looking dependable and not scaring the shit out of you when a player runs at them is just all sort of forgotten because well we aren't in the in the top six and we aren't playing two strikers up front and if that makes, and I don't, I'm not being condescending because yeah. people can have opinions, and I wanted Hughes out for like two years, so I just, yeah, I don't know where we're going to sort of come to a point where we maybe go, oh yeah, all right, maybe Rower isn't that bad, or actually, you know, Rower is bad. This is not good enough. I, feel like I think that yeah, that Leeds game really threw it in into sharp relief, didn't it? Because it showed us. Everything bad about us at the minute compared to they. I mean, we were so one paced, it was like we we're watching slow motion and they were buzzing around us so quickly. And it was just like, why can't we be quick? Weren't we quick like two years ago? Why can't we play football that's appealing to watch and makes you think, bloody hell, this is stoke? And it's like, it just hasn't been there. But we have picked up points. Obviously, not to start with, but gradually we're picking up more points. The Derby performance was obviously a lot better. Yeah, I think SCFC Josh on Twitter summed it up very well, which was like, you can be uh, pleased with the results we're having, you know, the gradual improvement in terms of results, and also be very concerned about uh, Rowett's tactics and his negative brand of football. To kind of slightly uh, defend the people who've been maybe knives out for Rowett, I I do think there is an element of people who didn't like him in the first place and just kind of refusing to be won round. But also... Looking at this eight-game unbeaten run, uh, it's three wins and five draws. If you look at the games, Sheffield United away, Bristol City away, Borough at home, Forest at home, those first four games incidentally have three goals in total in them. And then we have Queen's Park Rangers, Derby, Reading and Ipswich. How many of those games were actually enjoyable to watch? Derby, because it was a... Um, it was a it literally a Derby game. Uh you know, had had a lot riding on it. Had you know, emotional intensity and the drama of the red card and all the rest of it. Apart from that, what was QPR at home an exciting game? I don't think so. This Ipswich Town win, 
yes, it's 2-0 and it's fairly comfortable, but p people are leaving on 80 minutes for a reason. They're not leaving just because they don't like Rowett. They're leaving because they're bored by what's on offer. And considering we've had Hughes and Lambert offer crap for two seasons before that, that's either saying something about Gary Rowett or it's saying something about how uh, how much we expected of Stoke this season. Because like you said, yes, uh, maybe expecting the league was a bit too much. But also, you do have to take into account the, the transfer spend and the quality of players we have at our disposal that have led us to a place where we're happy to be breaking into the top 10 now. But then again, I understand the, the point about the transfer spend and the fact that we are a, a big team in this league. But I think you've also really got to remember, like you mentioned, what we had before under Lambert and Hughes. Let's remember the only way Paul Lambert could find a, a way of fixing the defence was to basically defend with all players but Jordan Shakiri. We were in such a damaged state and like the players have said like Bruno said um, in his like interview that was in the Sentinel it, that that mentality that they've had is was so pivotal to us starting the season so poorly and maybe it's just like a, a perfect storm for this anger and stuff to brew because Rowett was never going to be a manager to implement a desperately exciting brand of football and if you don't have the pragmatic results that Rowett brings you end up with just not exciting football and no results which is what we had for the first six weeks so yeah I totally understand why people are like that but I think it's coming to a point where everyone it might be good at Christmas for everyone to get a bit pissed and reevaluate what they think about our football team. Andy Jenkins uh, tweeted us to say we need to remember we are not Barcelona and we won't batter teams in a league that's all about grinding out results. It's a results business, not entertainment, regardless of what people think. Uh, and that's kind of the thrust of it. I kind, I kind of want to be on your side, Tom, because, don't get me wrong, entertaining as it was, the 2-2 draw at Rotherham was a fucking joke, really. Whereas this kind of boring 2-0 win over a crap team is what I want Stoke to be doing pretty much every week. Because... In terms of a league season, look, no one... Think about our promotion in 2008. No one remembers the the crap 1-0 wins you got in midweek against the, the Orso Rams. No one remembers them come the end of the season. They just remember the feeling of being promoted. And that's what ultimately, ultimately the aim is now. Uh, or top six or what, whatever the stated aim should be. But I just think, is there not a tiny bit of wiggle room for Rowett? We've seen a phobie now last two games come in for Berahino and just look isolated and lost and, 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 and but, and, but all, in terms of creating chances we're not creating a great deal of chances against the worst team in the league and Tom Ince is the only creative spark in that team it seems but but the Reading game, we created an absolute shitload of chances that Afobi put wide. It, it, it seems like that. It seems, and that, and that's me doing exactly what I'm about to criticise people for doing. A lot of the we've because we've got such a variety of performances throughout this season. It's quite easy to sort of 
pick out points, pick out things that go with your point. So if you want to say, oh, well, the 4-3-3 system doesn't work, it isolates strikers, you go, Leeds game, uh, Ipswich game, there you go, perfect. And I can go, well, actually, I think it's different. Reading game, where a phobie could have had a hat-trick in 30 minutes. I think... I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily making, the... Just the, the, the I don't think it's... Sorry. I don't think it's necessarily the system's fault in particular. I know people have had problems with it and I don't necessarily agree with people who say too up front. I just think it's part of the broader thing of, in terms of a footballing... Oh, God, I sound like such a wanker when I use this word. <laughs> in terms of a footballing philosophy, Rowitz is... You know, it, we can't even attack well... At home to Ipswich, if you know what I mean, and yes, yes, there is the Reading game, but they're also a shit team. We're not a front foot side, I guess, is my overall point. That I think that's sorry. I think that's the thing. If if we're going to be a bit shit to watch, but win loads of games, that's kind of what worked on Pulis. Although when we were really on it, we were great, but we aren't winning very many games, are we? Mm. We seem to be getting quite a few draws where you think, oh, that was, that was a decent point in the end. I probably would have taken that because I expected us to lose. But that's just on the basis that I expect us to lose every game after the first few and we were that bad. It's like, this, if if it carries on like this, but we win three out of four games for the rest of the season, then yeah, it's smashing. But it doesn't... Every, every time it looks like we might do that, say like the turning point at Derby, we then go and follow it up with something that isn't what we're expecting I mean obviously we won so I shouldn't be dead negative but <laughs> we did win yeah yeah I think also coupled with it is the slightly unrelated thing of we've tossed away two should have been banker three pointers against KPR and Reading and that that's a different frustration from oh row it's negative but it's helping fuel that kind of thing against him and that's what I kind of want to move on to talk about next uh, a question from John Wayne do you agree that we seem to be most motivated by adversity down to 10 men going behind in the game being booed being the underdog etc why with such experienced professionals is this the case now this has kind of been the case perhaps all season long and we've alluded to it before in this podcast that at home games in particular you have this kind of dynamic where the fans all jump on the players back and sometimes the players will react to that. You saw Eric Peters do that yesterday. Uh, sometimes the manager will, will react to that. A few things the manager said this season is, like after yesterday, he said, oh, I, I know I'd have been booed whatever sub I made or something, which in turn only kind of antagonised the fans to be more critical and puts Rowett under more pressure. So there's kind of this vicious cycle of uh, people digging each other out. But do you think that could actually be a net benefit to Stoke yeah I think we're, we're really especially at home we're devoid of anything like even people are getting pissed off they tend to only be the people who I don't know tweet a lot or phone up radio shows I actually think the mass majority of fans are just like all right yeah we won yeah all right, I'm gonna get I'm gonna go to the pub now like there's just such a little care at home so maybe I don't know people getting angry about things is good I think it certainly might have like sped up this weird hangover we had from last season because as soon as the attacks started coming towards oh you're not good enough to play I feel 
pretty much every player who got singled out has stepped up to it. I think Peters, more than anyone, has totally... That criticism he got, you aren't good enough for the championship anymore, he has basically gone, right. And he looks like a different footballer at times. Like he, he's got faster somehow. I don't know. I don't know how that happens, but he seems willing to like run through brick walls. And I don't know whether he's doing that for Rower or for the team, but I'd suspect it might sort of be as a bit of a not a middle finger because that's a bit too confrontational, but for lack of a better thing, a middle finger towards the people who <laughs> criticised him. Yeah, absolutely. I think Peters has been uh, outstanding in recent weeks. Uh, Tony, we'll uh, we'll talk about kind of more upbeat. St- stuff because yeah we did win and wins are important for Stoke City right now uh 2-0 it it's very rare to get a, a boring 2-0 but it was 2-0 all the le- all all the same and you have to say uh Tom Ince is just looking more and more like the player we hoped he would be isn't he um it's almost like he was carrying an injury of some sort and then got that sorted and now we're seeing the player he actually is which everyone seems to have forgotten it's like he was he was a bit hot and cold and he wasn't doing when when he was good he was good but it was very, it was more cold than hot probably and then he disappeared for a few weeks to have his hernia done or whatever and now he he really does look like he he's quite good isn't he I mean I had him pretty much marked down as a cut inside and stop merchant mm. not that long ago and now he's a cut inside and then cut outside and then cross it or run around and score and he's yeah and he's he's linking up well as well I mean, him and, him and Joe Allen seem to have formed some kind of weird wing midfield partnership, which I never saw coming. <laughs> yes, three three goals in the last three games. He's he's currently on course to break Jamie Vardy's record. Is is Tom? <laughs> maybe maybe I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. A um, few things on the selection. Then uh, I guess the, the B word will be rearing its head soon. So just you know, five minute warning on that. Uh, Afobe started up front, Berahino on the left, McLean was carrying slight knock, uh, so that meant Klukas was in the midfield three. What do we want to happen with the wings up until January? I know a, a lot of people are saying we need wingers in January. Is Should it be McLean and Ince? Should it be Berahino and Ince wide? Should it be Klukas and Ince wide? Because that left, left-sided uh, wing position... No one's really made it their own yet, and you you sense that that position could be a, a real uh, turning point for us if we find the right man to, uh, the right man to go there. I am. Um, I, I I think it all depends on who we're playing, and I think that's sort of what we've seen so far. Because like Klukas against Derby really helped out in a sense of he was a wide player who didn't mind coming in and sort of building up a bit more and giving that extra man to pass to whereas at Ipswich I quite like the idea that we're playing like a striker out there so he can push forward and join the attack more I think it's something that Rauer has been it's like a principle of him as a manager, he's always, he's never had a right this is my starting 11 this is how we play football it's always been this is the best 11 I think to beat the team we're playing and this is how I think we can do it best but I think we've got we've got nice options now I, I don't think I like reading the team sheet obviously Ince has got the right wing nailed down no one's moving him from there but whether we get Klukas, Berahino or McLean out there I don't think I'm going to be like oh it shouldn't be him it should be him 
Yeah, I don't. It's not like they're all as bad as each other. Kind of, it doesn't matter which one you have. It's like Klukas. I was. I think the main takeaway for me from the derby game was how good Klukas was. Um, Berahino, I think, has done a terrific job out there a couple of times. Um, sometimes he looks a bit lost, but sometimes he only plays ten minutes. Um, McLean seems to be. He's another hot and cold one, isn't he? I don't know. He's, I don't know would, what to say about McLean because I don't want to slag him off. Would you say we needed a, a left winger in January? Is that something we should be targeting, or should we should we be looking more at a, a centre half? It depends who it is, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the number of players we've signed where I've been really excited, like Hesse, for example, <laughs> and then they've turned out to be not quite what I was hoping for. It, it, you could have. I'll just leave it to them. They're the experts. I don't know. It's, it's just, if it we we're, so, we're so good at getting players that I think will fit in really well, and then either ruin them or they don't play well at all for some reason. Mm. I, I've that... almost lost all faith in transfers forever <laughs> since Palacios, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, uh, I did. I did have the the weird thought yesterday that. Actually, Chupo Moting might actually suit this team a bit more with the physicality in the running and <sighs> scoring one goal every eight games. Of so, course, we we should we should move on and uh, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, the benches are cause uh, a lot of controversy. Uh, of course, Rowett made a comment of like, oh, no matter who I brought on, it would have been criticised, but. Is it not just a bit sad that in the 90th minute of a game we're coasting to victory and he has to bring on Darren Fletcher and Peter Crouch with Lasse Sorensen, uh, a young a young kid who hasn't had much game time uh, there? Is, what was the point of bringing Crouch and Fletcher on, really? What, what were they going to offer that was any different to what was going before? Were they just time-wasting subs? I feel like Rowett's comments after the game were a bit like, I don't know, I felt like he was having a go at himself more than anyone else. I know he like said they'd boo me, whatever. I think he actually came into that game and suddenly realised, shit, that is a negative bench. I don't think there was one option on there aside from McLean who you could be like, he will change the game going forward. And yeah, for Fletcher to come on when... Ipswich didn't look like scoring. We didn't need to tighten it up anymore. Instead of Sorensen, it's just a bit. I don't know why. Why have Sorensen on the bench when you've got Edwards on the bench? So you've got your your homegrown rule covered. Just bleh. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do either of you think he would have got booze if he brought Sorensen on or Bojan on, or as an example, he's. he's He's, he's saying he would have got booed whoever it was, but it's a bit far-fetched, isn't it? He just brought the same ones on that he knew he'd get booed for because he got booed from last week and a week before that and a week before that. So it's not, it's, it won't be a surprise to him on that basis. And is he actually doing the childish thing that is seeming to what have happened in the QPR game? Oh, I bought Brojan on when we were winning and we didn't win the game. So therefore, I can't bring Brojan off the bench. Like I'd really hope our manager isn't that childish. But, like, the evidence, he's not been on the bench for the three games after. 
Uh. You do get that impression, don't you? Because he's a fan's favourite, you see, and we're not supposed to have fans' favourites. He's not going to play him if we have fans' favourites. It's all our fault for liking him. That's why he can't play. Mm. Are we having a massive uh, pissing contest and everyone's just mm. wet themselves? Yeah. Uh, I sh- should uh, do a, a slight correction there, Tom. Tom Edwards wasn't on the bench yesterday. Uh, Lassen Sorison, uh, as, you, as you alluded to, did come in on the bench to, to fill that role oh. of... Uh, the, the token homegrown player that I think you now, by law, have to have uh, on the bench. And certainly um, that's one by, of the reasons. By law. Both... <laughs> yeah, by, by the The police would have arrested him if he didn't. <laughs> by the laws of the game, Thomas, the laws of the game. In fact, they're, they're more important than the uh, than the actual laws sometimes. But, um, yeah, uh, Sorensen is on the bench, which... Partly explains Bojan's absence uh, from the matchday squad, and we've we've been over this and over this and over this, and you know here we go again, Wizards of Drivel banging the Bojan drum. Oh, he hasn't done anything on loan at Alaves, therefore he doesn't even deserve to to look at a bench again for Stoke. Right, the thing is, I don't think that Bojan necessarily should be starting every week. I think it would have helped him to have had a run of games in the team for sure. But if you're telling me that McLean, Juve, Fletcher, Crouch and Sorensen, I know he's in there for a different reason. If you're telling me those five represent in any way a better option off the bench than Bojan, then God help you. It's it's just... it's. Is it that Bojan is just simply not good enough. Is it that Rowett is uh, again speaking of pissing contests? Is he trying to just lay down the law? He's done it with Bauer, and now he can do it with Bojan and say, "Look, this is my team now. Bomb out the fans' favourites. Uh, I'm building this club in my image." Or is it something else that I'm missing and perhaps blind to out of loyalty? Because the difference between da- bringing Darren F- Fletcher on in a game you've already won and bringing Bojan on, no one would have booed bringing Bojan on, would they? They would have been, oh my God, Gary Rowett as a soul. It's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> <You know. laughs> bring bring some joy and hope into people's lives, Gary. Come on. Uh, but no, uh, Tony, uh, Bojan, he's, he's obviously on his way, isn't he? Oh, don't say that. I've had a really good day. <laughs> oh, um, I hope not. I mean, I, the fact he came out on the BBC the other day and said, I really like being at Stoke. It's been brilliant, even though it's not Ajax or Barcelona or whatever, but it really suits me. And then I'm sure that's what I heard. And then when I read it, it said, I really like being in England. And I just thought, oh, no, please don't leave us. This is much worse than... Joss Lou or anybody else leaving maybe not Mark Meunier I loved him but I hope not I think is the answer I haven't seen anything that specifically says anybody's going to come and take him away from me do you know what pisses me off that, that Bojan is so nice and he's so nice about being left out of the team time and time again like he goes on the radio and he's like oh yeah I'm in a lower division I'm not even playing in the lower division but, you know, I'm happy, I'm having a good time. Whereas, like, certain players, mostly British, over the age of 30 in our squad, 
take to Twitter, take to Five Live, to basically say, I should be in the team, everyone else is crap. And, and that's happened several times with some of our players. And even as fans, people aren't like, huh, maybe Bojan's doing it the way they should. They're like, oh no, get that left-footed haggis monster in the team because we need to be direct. Get that tall, famous goal scorer who hasn't scored a goal since August on because he changes the game so in a good way. Sorry, no, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going to get really angry and I'm going to say things I regret. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, we've got the we've got the Vale Park segment for uh, saying things you'll let you regret. But don't worry, <laughs> don't worry. Uh, yeah, uh, personally, I just I don't see a way back for Bojan, and that's very sad. Uh, I think he has he's obviously suffered from uh, not being the player everyone demanded that he'd be. Sometimes he he showed us that player, and it was great, but people either expected it to happen every single game and the the managers he's had have maybe bought into that narrative as well saying like oh Bojan was a bit ineffective in this game let's not play him for six games on the spin let's loan him out let's play him out wide the fact he started three of our games so far this season is a bit of a joke and no other player in recent uh, years has I think, suffered from the narrative as much as Bojan. Bojan's narrative is, oh, he was the the next Messi at one point, but because he's the next Messi and he had an injury, which brackets didn't really do that big a damage to his uh, ability. And uh, also the narrative of, uh, the the new narrative of like, oh, well, he had a loan spell at Thingy and uh, Lambert didn't want him and Hughes didn't want him. So that doesn't tell you, well, Lambert and Hughes took us down. Oliver's a shit. Mine's a shit. <laughs> why are we? Why are we giving so much credence to clubs that actually suffered when he wasn't playing? If he had played every game for Oliver's and they were shit, fair enough. If he'd played under Paul Lambert and we still went down, maybe fair enough. But the fact is that he started three games this season, and only up until very recently have we not been utter toilet this season. Like. <laughs> Can we just at least appreciate that, in general, he improves teams by being in them? In general, not every week. Not he's not, you know, he's not Messi. He's not Ronaldo. He's Bojan. He's a lovely guy who offers you something different, who the fans love and is exciting to watch. So if you like any of those things, that's why I go on about Bojan so much. That that's why everyone gets sick of me. There was I've, I've just seen uh, I've got quote tweeted in the last hour by someone saying, "Oh, Bojan, shit, get, give it a rest." I'm like, no, <laughs> I won't. Well, you were talking about reg- saying things you'd regret. Uh, the, my maiden podcast, I was defending Charlie Adam, <laughs> but Bojan is shit. I mean, come on, I, I love Charlie for various reasons, but I. Still have Bojan in in front of him. I mean, has Bojan ever? I mean, he's, he's not always played the world's best game, but has he ever actually played badly? Never, never in his life. I, he's never had a bad I, game. Like <laughs> I can't think of a game where he, he he's come on and given away a really stupid free kick on the edge of the area with two minutes to go, uh, or oh, missed oh, a penalty oh. and then fallen over. 
Well, we Possibly. will get comments now. Uh, uh, West Brom away, 2015. <laughs> Bojan uh, left a leg in on uh, James Morrison, causing a yellow card and therefore... <laughs> yeah, but, know, but it's Bojan. It he clearly didn't mean to hurt him or anything <laughs> because he's nice. Bojan wouldn't hurt a fly. Uh, before we move on, just a couple of things on the upcoming Aston Villa game. Uh, one question from... Alex on Twitter, if we draw or beat Villa next week, are we seriously in contention to go up this season? What do you think, Tony? <laughs> well, it depends on the other games afterwards. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you, you just got to sit on the fence. Uh, I, well, toss a coin. We, we might play quite well and be a bit feisty and do them, even though they're suddenly on, as always, we're playing a team that weren't very good not very long ago and now they've got a new manager and they are quite good but equally we might be insipid and one-paced and not turn up um oh we win if you're asking for a prediction i'm going to say one nil to stoke but i don't feel it in my heart goodness goodness me uh dean smith obviously has got aston villa playing a bit and uh question for uh, I'll direct towards you, Tom, from Simon on Twitter. Now we've seen how the championship is panning out. What is success for us this season? Uh, are you still in the Peter Coates frame of mind that anything outside the top six would be uh, a failure? I, I I see it all as a bit of a two-year project, really, and that if we haven't got promoted after next season, then shit, it's gone wrong. So I don't really know where where I'd say success is I think it's more based on like what we're like as a team because the way we've started all we need now is a few results to go against us and that'll be that we, we won't finish in the top six but if we beat Aston Villa on Saturday we're going to win the league <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, I'm very very wary of Aston Villa I think this is probably uh our toughest fixture for for a while and uh, if any game's going to halt the unbeaten run of Gary Rowett's magnificent men it's going to be Villa away who are looking very strong indeed uh, but uh, having having moaned all episode about our oh, two negative Rowett oh, it's shit to watch I'd bloody love a shit hours nil nil right now <laughs> this is Gary Rowett's <laughs> bread and butter XG 0.0001 that's what I want <laughs> <laughs> we score from a pass from the halfway line. It trickles in. Was Charlie Adam playing? <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's potentially massive. That game for uh, maybe our mentality going into the second half of the season. We'll move on then. Oh, fuck. Um, <laughs> midweek, uh, Stoke City under twenty ones played at Vale Park in the Trekker Trade Trophy. The first. "Quote unquote Pottery's Derby for a while. Finished four 0 to the to the senior pros of Port Vale against a entirely youthful Stoke squad bar Jakob Halgard, which you know <laughs> Jakob Halgard doesn't really count, does he? Um, but uh, unfortunately, the game has dominated headlines for what happened off the pitch at Vale Park, and our own fans were implicated for a variety of." criminal damage and criminal behaviour and arrests have been made and uh, it appears that people will be charged for these. Uh, I've had a bit of a chance to sit and reflect on what's happened 
and that was probably a good thing for this podcast because if I'd have done a reactionary uh, podcast after the Veil game, I feel like I could have said something I'd regret. And I also didn't want to do one straight away because I think I've got a bit of a track record on here for getting on my soapbox and criticising our fan base sometimes. I did it with the Aaron Ramsey booing. I've done it with James McLean stuff. And given that it's, this is an opinion-led podcast, I've, I've maybe been a bit ranty in the past about trivial things like what people think about Hughes or Lambert or Rowett. I'm thankful we didn't have a podcast straight after that game because I may have said something I'd later regret. It's also given me the chance to gauge the reaction of other fans, those who were at the game and those who weren't. Uh, just read you a couple of things from people who were at the game. Dreadful night, just want to get home. It's Stoke-on-Trent, it's everyone's city. And another, I've left, that was shocking. So many idiots, people literally taking drugs and collapsing on me. It's going to be carnage at full-time. Unreserved seating was idiotic. Now, what happened at Vale Park was a total and utter embarrassment to the club in the city. I think there's been plenty said about the behaviour of the cretins who went to smash stuff up. But what's even more dispiriting is some of the excuses that are being made for it. Unreserved seating, general sale tickets and policing are issues that do need to be scrutinised. But seeing some of our fans, A, take some weird sense of perverse pride in this, and B, round on the people calling it out, is so toe-curlingly embarrassing I don't know where to begin. I've seen comments underneath videos of what happened calling people grasses for sharing criminal activity on social media. I've seen comments like, oh, nobody died, and oh, it's a derby, what do you expect? Maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but it's still soul-destroying hearing dyed-in-the-wool fans. These aren't snowflakes by any stretch. These are hardcore people say, I'm sorry, this is too much, and I can't take my kids, and things like that. James McLean had a point. These are uneducated cavemen. Who are these people? I'm going to tear out a sink. I'm going to jump on a stranger's car. How insecure do you have to be that proving yourself to your mates putting out a window in a gent's toilet and don't get me started on the thickos who then post these pindict triumphs on social media i reassure myself that these men and they are all men aren't the people that attend games regularly or listen to these podcast to this podcast imagine those fans listening to this podcast It'd be like a dog listening to classical music <laughs> these people are taking advantage of a unique situation with 10 pound general sale tickets so they so they thought they'd be cunts under the guise of being a Stoke fan. Yet again, though, I go back to the reaction. I received a lot of abuse on Twitter just for a couple of tweets about calling them out. And bizarrely, I thought nobody could really argue with that. I think some people have a warped view of what authentic football support is. They think it includes criminal damage at a local derby. I'm all for raucous atmospheres, all for singing songs about the veil, all for pyro, if that's your bag. Although, be careful not to singe your balls. But some people think they're on a Copper 90 Derby Days video. They're acting up because they see Boca River and think it's proper or authentic to behave like an utter weapon. A thoroughly depressing night to be a Stoke fan. I support Angela Smith's statement. Incidentally, Angela Smith also copying online abuse for speaking out. But I would have liked to have seen a bit more leadership from the club and I would have liked to have seen Stoke fans not actually involved to actually fucking condemn it. Not call people grasses or try and sweep it under the carpet. Let's drive the fuckers out into the open and then out of our club. Uh, Tony, you had some thoughts. Yeah, well, don't really want to dilute that by saying too much, but as for, as for, it's just ridiculous behaviour. It is embarrassing. Embarrassing is exactly the right word for me. Um, 
I'd say great, get the video out, get as many of these knobheads banned as possible, and that might make life easier on away days and stuff. But I think the crux of it for me is I don't want I don't, I don't want them banned. I don't want anybody not to be able to go to the football. You mentioned parents not being able to take their kids. I can't take my daughter to away games anymore because a couple of years ago, well, it was Villa away, so how many years ago that must have been, and somebody literally threatened her. She was like 9 or 10 at this point, threatened to beat her up because she was in their way as they were trying to invade the pitch. And it's like, what, what even is that? way of thinking is it's a kid she's a she's quite small i mean people like people enjoy football in all their different ways you've got people who like to sit and eat sweets and clap and you've got people who want to push each other around and have a bit of a laugh fair enough you, you, people who just want to enjoy the game my problem is when one of those groups stop the other ones being able to enjoy the game it's like you don't there's no there's no need for it there's no I'm not a big fan of Pyro, but I'm asthmatic, so I'll give you that. But I can take myself away from that situation. If I'm, say, I'm disabled walking with a stick or whatever, I can't take myself away from a situation. I'll I'll get a reserved seat on the end of a row near near the front so I can see because I need to get to the toilet and I'm not very good on my feet. I'm talking for myself because I had my back injury, but still... Then you've got on reserve seating. That seat's gone. There's a load of massive people who've decided the stairs are their area now, and they're just going to stand there. And then you end up sat somewhere else. It's it's, it's just mind-boggling. I mean, plenty of things annoy me about hashtag modern football, like wearing an away kit when you don't need to wear the away kit. But amongst the things that annoy me, at no point does people being able to take their kids to the football annoy me, or the LGBT community feeling welcome at the football or bathroom furniture being unmolested is or like it's it, i just can't get my head around it i think the thing i've taken away from it is it it's so gutting for i don't, I don't like using this phrase but it's what i mean really for real football fans for people who go to away days who like going to away day is such a big thing and I consider myself to be part of that and in these people's like these actions that led to things like Hillsborough being blamed on thugs and hooligans when actually it was just 20,000 normal people trying to go and enjoy a game and unfortunately 96 bloody died but we don't get the proper attention on that and everyone who's been to an away day knows some of the bizarre things that are put on football fans. You can't go into certain pubs. You get people on the train apologising to non-football fans for the football fans who've bought tickets. And the reason for this is things like this. And I know I'm, uh, this isn't an excuse. I, I think those people shouldn't be... Um, well, obviously shouldn't be doing that, but the club needs to make it a lot harder for them to go to a game and for the club to put tickets for Port Vale away on general sale to anybody who could walk up to the ticket office. It boggles my mind. I know I know, we say don't, but somewhere the governance of football, meaning anyone in charge of fans going to a game, has to step up and go, whether that be the police, whether that be our club, whether that be Port Vale whether that be the supporters' council or some kind of other body representing fans, go, actually, you know what? Selling 2,000 general sale tickets for Port Vale away, that was a shit idea. That was, there's no other way to describe it. That was mental. That was really, really daft. And 
I think to simply blame the knobs who took advantage of that situation is maybe a little bit allowing people to wash their hands of it and just be like, oh, well, you know, football supporters, yobs, you know, as we do, this is what happens, blah, blah, blah. You've got to be proactive in the way that you're approaching these things. But yeah, my overall sentiment is you're a bunch of twats who, through no action of my own, have infringed upon what I'm going to have to deal with in the future and I'm not going to be able to enjoy my full liberties and freedoms on a football match and it's because of people like you yeah um we obviously had the pepper spray incident at preston earlier this season and that stuff will only happen more because these these twats continue to portray football fans like that i consider myself someone who in general is on because because i am on because because i am a football fan i tend to be on the side of football fans in almost every excusable instance. Every time I, I will let football fans off the hook, I can, because I think there is a, there's certainly a longer-term cultural narrative around football fans that says uh, thugs and whatever. Um, and I also think if you actually go out and speak to, like you said, real football fans, they are reasonable people. They, they are embarrassed by, by scenes like that. And and so, and certainly policing around football fans is something that needs to be looked at uh, because what happened at Preston was ridiculous. And like you said, things can get draconian. We this is this is the club that introduced ID cards at one point uh, and then later revoked them. Stuff like that needs to be looked at, but that's what makes it all the more disappointing when football fans play up to to that stereotype. Well, I, I, I hesitate to call them football fans. They're just people using football as a outlet to be a cunt. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm talking myself in circles here. Um, I, I, just, I was just so utterly embarrassed. But as I said, what's making it worse for me... Because, you know, this sometimes happens at, at games and sometimes you do have to kind of take it on the chin. But what's worse is seeing quote-unquote proper Stoke fans almost celebrate it. Like, oh, that was a proper good Derby tear-up and calling people grasses and stuff. It's just fucking pathetic. Can we collectively grow up and can, can the club show some fucking leadership here? Because I'd... Smurthwaite strikes me as a bit of a dick, but if the club aren't getting back to him about something like this, that is just piss poor, really. Okay, as are we all talked out on that? Probably best. Mm. Right, we'll move on to something daft, shall we? Ryan Ryan Williams has just pulled out another corking question for us. He was the one who came up with the historical 11s idea last week. And this week he's he's gone all festive with a uh, Christmas-themed question for you. If you had to make a Christmas movie exclusively starring Stoke players and their wives-slash-families, then what would each character be like and what would the plot of the movie be? We're looking for Stoke City Christmas films. Tony, do you want to get us started? <laughs> I'll, um maybe I, there's a reasonable risk I completely misinterpreted the question as 
create an original film with Stoke players in with the theme of Christmas uh, rather than the sort of advance, sports people's biscuits. And, and neither have I. <laughs> so either I've done it right, which seems increasingly unlikely, but I may as well go with it. Um, I had come up with a Stoke City nativity on a wet and windy night in the tail end of December. It's not an entirely original story. You might have heard some of it before, but basically <laughs> I've got... I'll just run through it. I've got Jesus as Bojan, because he's obviously he's the son of God and he's just great. And uh, he exists. Um, <laughs> jo- Joseph, I've got as Jocelyn, just because he's sort of like Bojan, but a bit bigger, but he didn't really do that much. Um... Mary, I got Munieza, um, because just sort of trying to go the distance, we kept sort of breaking down, um, but obviously lovely. Um, thank you, Charity Laugh. Um, I've got Peter Coates as the first wise man. He brought gold. Yeah, uh, Mark good. Cartwright, he brought Frank Incense, who no one had heard of, but turned out to be a German centre-back who was useless <laughs> but cost nine million quid. Um, I've got Charlie Adam. He brought Gurr. Um, oh. Kenwyn Jones is the donkey. Ooh. Jack Botland is the innkeeper. Uh. Rory Delap was just the shepherd who's sort of herding a load of defenders. Um, Peter Crouch is the Christmas tree that they all <laughs> gathered around for presents and that. Um, and I've got Moritz Bauer as Harold Bishop off Neighbours because he's disappeared. And although he's not really in this story, it might be interesting if he did turn up. <laughs> that that was an amazing mixture of actually quite good jokes and really fucking terrible. <laughs> That's oh, pretty much my thing. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to follow that up. <laughs> Oh well, you've done God. it right, and I did it wrong, so no. I'll, I'll, I'll just so go. That, this is pretty much um, what I've done as well. Um, I've got four half-baked ideas, if you want them. I'm desperate for them, <laughs> as you could see. Okay. Um, so, obviously, this time of year brings debates about whether Die Hard is a Christmas film. We'll maybe park that for a more boring podcast to take up. <laughs> but... Uh, who is the protagonist in Die Hard? Anyone? John McLean. James McLean, exactly. Yes. Oh. Die Hard with James McLean. He just wants to go home to Derry for Christmas, but there's all these terrorists up in this tower block. But they've made a mistake because they thought he would be a terrorist sympathiser and like sympathise with them and be like, oh, go on, lads. But no, McLean works hard. He tracks back through all the air vents and that, and then he beats them all up, saves the day. But then, once he gets out of the tower block, is he is he happy? Is he celebrated by the British press for beating up all the terrorists? No, because he didn't wear a poppy while he beat up the terrorists. And is that prick? Yeah. Uh, there's a, a Christmas Carol starring Gary Rowett. Uh, the Ghost of Christmas Past uh, shows him Benicophobe looking isolated. The Ghost of Christmas Present shows him Benicophobe looking isolated. And the Ghost of Christmas Future starring uh, uh, shows Benicophobe looking isolated. And what does Gary Rowett learn from this? Nothing. Fuck all. Um, 
<laughs> Another one here, a film about mysterious creatures who come out of nowhere and transform into small, destructive, evil monsters. The Vale Park Stoke fans star in Gremlins. <sighs> and finally, I've got uh, Charlie Adam in the Mrs. Brown's Boys Christmas special. Not really a film, but obviously we know how much Charlie loves Mrs. Brown Boys. In this episode, Mammy tries shots from the halfway line. Everyone finds it enjoyable for some inexplicable fucking reason. <laughs> yeah, mine was a lot more like yours, and and it, I I now feel it's it's really inferior to come to, like last to all of those. So mine was you know you know the 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 father clause no the the Santa clause even <laughs> yes yeah get the thing wrong yes. yeah yeah well this involves the Peters family and instead of killing Santa by accident, um, Eric and Nimina throw um, a glass of wine over the person who they don't know is Santa Claus, which then makes Eric Peter's Santa Claus, because that's how, that's how things work. Um, and it's all just about how Eric Peters is, is like Father <coughs> Christmas and has to teach the Peters family the true meaning of Christmas, which, of course, is loopy crosses to the back post. <laughs> Uh, a lot, a lot of crosses, at, but at this time of year, for Eric <laughs> and for Jesus, like it. Um, Ryan, Ryan Williams. Uh, sorry if we couldn't do uh, that question uh, justice, but please, Ryan, continue to send us questions because uh, these are becoming the most fun parts of the podcast by far. Um, yeah, certainly more fun than talking about the. Uh, Stoke fans at Vale Park. Uh, just we did post on Twitter uh, for any suggestions for this. Um, Chris said uh, the Expendables starring every squad member. You think it's going to be great movie as there's loads of decent actors in it, but yet you walk away thinking it was ninety minutes of what a shite. <laughs> and uh, Simon says Bauer should be Rudolph in a Christmas film, not allowed to join in any games. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that uh, I am all talked out thank you very much for joining me Tom cheers for having me and for putting up with me oh Tom that's fine we like you really <laughs> and Tony uh, welcome back to the podcast and uh, cheers for joining us it's been an honour and a privilege thank you very much thank you for putting up with me <laughs> This time of year, let's everybody just all put up with each other. It's Christmas. <laughs> Go on, Stoke.